0: Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. I'm a recovering anorexic. I, I suddenly got really nervous when I realized I had to stand up. <laughs> um, it's very odd. So, um, great, and I have a timer, right? Okay. Thank you, John, for asking me to come and share today. Um, I love OA. OA saved my life. and I, I came to OA in 1990 when I was 20 years old. And I um, I came from an alcoholic family. I came from um, a family that was not safe and that there was an incredible abuse in my family, incredible psychological and emotional abuse. And um, I always say in my share that I don't blame my parents for my disorder um, but through recovery I've, been a, I, I've kind of swung that pendulum from like just love and forgive it's just all about loveness love and forgive and I, no, no one's ever done anything wrong and it's just about loving and forgiving to so like being so enraged that I can't see straight and through working the steps and being honest with fellows and talking to people I trust and, and um, really inventorying and really doing a lot of work around my family I have come to this place in recovery today where I have love and compassion for my parents. I know they were abused even more than I was. And I see them for who they are, and at the same time, I allow them to hold and be accountable for the choices they've made in their life. And that balance is really healthy for me. And I just say that before I go into my family thing, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but, um, um, I'll just tell my story and I'll get back into that in a little bit. So I came to LA in 1990, wasn't ready to get abstinent, wasn't ready to face the reality of anorexia, but even more than that I wasn't ready to face what was going on underneath, on, underneath my anorexia. and. Um, and I just want to say, I always say this in a meeting that isn't an Navy focus, and you know, I've come to see in my recovery that, you know, years ago I had a friend up in Valencia when I was going to school up there. She um, talked about how when she got into OA, she was a compulsive reader. She talked about how when she got into OA, she lost her weight in six months. She lost, I think, 80 or 90 pounds in six months, and she said she was walking down the street and she felt like she had been stripped of her barriers and her defenses, and she felt naked, and she felt so uncomfortable that she said she didn't have the spiritual muscle to handle that level of exposure. So she put all of her weight back on and more. And when she told me that story, I realized that her bigness was her barrier and her food obsession was her barrier. And when she said that, I realized That's my smallness. My smallness is my barrier. My shrinking away from life is my barrier. That's how I kept people away. And that's really, I really want to say that so I don't see myself as different from a compulsive reader in that regard. So anyway, so came to OA, 1990, wasn't ready. Got the tool of writing down my food. I was raised in a religious cult. So my concept of spirituality, I didn't even hear the God thing when I first came, and I'm glad I didn't hear it because it wouldn't have been good for me. So I left away, I got the, the tool of write down your food. Just write down your food, that's all you can do. So I started writing down my food, and it was kind of like this control thing. And at that time I was about 150 pounds, which is, was kind of my normal thing. That was sort of my normal weight. I didn't think I was overly thin. Um, that's about 35 pounds less than I am now. Um, but that was just kind of normal life for me. So I uh, wrote down my food, got more and more obsessed with food, more and more obsessed with food. In that time, I did some work to recover from the very um, horrible, uh, destructive religious upbringing that I was raised in. And I believe now, looking back, that my higher power was getting me ready in those five years because I came back in 1995. Um, I moved into an apartment just around the corner from here, actually. And um, I moved into an apartment building where Craig and Deborah lived. I don't know if you guys know Craig and Deborah, but they're kind of like mainstays in the program. And Craig said to me, I'm in OA. And I said, oh my god, I'm in OA too. I should go with you sometime. In my mind, the obsession had gotten so bad that it was like demonic possession. Like I, 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 it almost, the, the obsession was so loud in my head that I think it kind of was about to come out of my mouth that's how bad it was and and I remember during that time praying to my then new higher power please don't ever make me have to go go back to OA with those horrible horrible people
1: Because, because because
0: OA scared me and like so even though I mean that's very anorexic to kind of put on this sort of like loving happy face I'm in way. I should go back with you too I should go back you know take me to a meeting When deep down I'm like oh my god I don't want to go you know and so I went I went to Saturday Sunday still wasn't ready I started and I thought because I was obsessed with food that I was a compulsive a reader so I started taking chips and candles as a compulsive a reader and I started losing more weight so are losing more weight this was 150, 35 less than now more weight, more weight, more weight Jack was there, I'm sure Jack I don't know if he remembers it, but he saw it and you know, teen Chips and Candles the whole game show aspect of Serenity Sunday <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the price
0: is right Terrell remembers that um, and anyway I don't, of course I was in denial, but I don't look at denial as like I wasn't just denying the disorder. I was denying the issues underneath the disorder. Just like when I couldn't get to five years earlier, it wasn't that I wasn't, yes, I wasn't ready to face anorexia, but on a much deeper level, I wasn't ready to face what it would mean if I faced anorexia in my life. So, um, I, uh, so yeah, nine months in, I was less than 130 pounds, and this was like for four or five months I was at this place. Less than 130 pounds, which is 55 pounds less than I am today. Um, My hair was falling out. Dark circles under my eyes. I couldn't walk upstairs without getting winded. I mean, I've told all these stories uh, and have lots of them. But the real distortion was that I believed I was overeating. I believed that I was eating too much food because when I ate, I felt so guilty. And, and for me, it wasn't like I want to start to be thin because the, the gay male body type is not a really thin body. It's like, you know, a big buff body. And I knew I wasn't that. So it wasn't about trying to look good. I just didn't. I just felt so guilty when I ate. And so it felt made so much sense. If you feel guilty when you eat, eat less. And I had to keep eating less to, to keep not feeling guilty. And it's total distortion, total distortion. And um, I don't know, I, I, was in, I was in the program, I was working the steps, um, and, you know, with a very sick sponsor, you know, they always say you start right where you're at. I picked the sickest person I could find. Or no, no, let me rephrase that. I picked, I picked the person that matched my sickness, my where I was at and I needed to go through that with him and I did it was comical comical like dysfunction but anyway it was what I needed at the time and um, nine months in you know as people were coming up to me and like you're going to die I'm worried about you and I get really defensive and yell at them and scream at them and I don't know what happened though, it was a miracle of me coming and you guys loving me before I could love myself, you know, this was in 1995, and like, the the gay issue wasn't an issue in the meetings, it's not cool to like gay people like it is now, back then it was, it wasn't the same world, you know, and people were just loving and open and accepting, it was really, I can't tell you how much that means to me today, and, um, So anyway, you know, I don't know what happened, but it was a miracle of recovery. Someone came up to me at work and she said, I think you're going to die. And I was like, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. And I got really defensive and I just heard the word anorexia. And it was like, it just like came over me. And I I just had this like miracle of recovery. And I got, you know, I I gained 40 pounds, 50 pounds in like two or three months and just started eating. And my body was like shot back to life. My life was shot back to life. And I kept I was going to, you know, meeting a day at that point. And, um, and that's when the, I always say my abstinence is where the recovery started for me, you know. Um, and I remember this is, I, I know this story is so broken, but it just says it all. You know, I called Daryl on call, uh, one of these program calls early on, and I'm sobbing my brains out, like so hard, laying on the ground, crying so hard that my sides here hurt. And she said, Dan, why are you crying? And I literally said, I just, I said, I don't know. I do not know. And it was like that abstinence awoke things in my body that I didn't know were like shoved down and <coughs> hidden. And she just very lovingly said, well, we're going to find out why. We're going to find out why you're crying. And she said, you know, there's a reason for your anorexia. We're going to find out what it is, and we're going to heal. And just that, that hope, that was incredible for me. And when I came to Randy Sunday that, those first few months what I saw there I don't know that you had what I wanted in terms of abstinence because I was so distorted and I didn't know anything about that but what I did see was I saw people like Jack and people like remember, remember Flo what was the name Flo all these wonderful people and they they had this this non-apology in their eyes like they stood in their body they knew who they were They didn't apologize for who they were, and they kind of owned their existence in front of people, truthfully. And they told the truth about their disease. They said things I thought I would never say out loud, and that's what I wanted. I knew I couldn't articulate it, but that is what I wanted. And I kept coming back for that. And and what they used to say was, if you want to find out why you're eating or not eating, or barfing or not barfing or starving or whatever you're doing with food, Stop doing those behaviors, and you're going to find out why. And that's just so exactly what happened to me. You know, I started eating. I got abstinent from anorexia. I celebrated 24 years of abstinence two weeks ago. Thank you. you. And I feel like I'm one of those people now. You know, I'm one of those people. And I have that thing that I wanted early on. Besides the fact that I have this incredible life because of abstinence, and I do have a really great life, and I'll share about that if I remember to later. Um, so, um, so yeah, and I just you know I got abstinent, I started doing the work, and before abstinence, if you asked me about my life, I'd put on a big anorexic smile and I'd say everything's fine. You know, when my hair was falling out and I had dark circles under my eyes, I was fine. I just have a food problem. I don't know what it is, but I have this weird food problem. Everything wasn't fine. You know, everything was so not fine, and OA gave me the space and the tools and the permission and the support to go into that not fineness and start to sort it out and use the tools and, and uh, you know do do that next indicated thing in recovery. You know, if I'm asking, I'm going to see what's going on in my life. I'm going to see what I need to work on. And that's kind of what I've done over the last 24 years. Like, just doing that next indicated thing. I'm lonely. I'm gonna have to date. I don't want to date. I hate dating. Because when I date, my low self-worth comes up. So, my answer to dating was don't date! great idea, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, don't do it <laughs> it was perfect and I was single for like 14, 13, 14 years and that's where that got me, you know, I'd like, meet a guy in a grocery store and he'd be the one and it wouldn't work out, I'd be devastated and I wouldn't date for a year and now I did that year after year after year and finally people people like, you're going to have to go on dates you're going to have to go and just keep going and, and like, and I wanted to go to the retreat and read the self-help book and then just like dance out into the world ready and shiny and new and that's also very anorexic you know, just like practice, practice, practice and then ba here I am <laughs> you know and I, and I you know, I didn't get to do that you know and I surrendered to um how am I with time, by the way?
1: You have, uh, you have four minutes till your five. Minutes. Okay, nine minutes. Okay, great. five is nine. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: and um, so you know, I did that. I did that in recovery. I put myself through school in recovery. You know, I I was kind of backed into a corner with my creative career life, and I took a chance and and, and went for you know put myself through school, and that means a lot to me today. Um but I guess I don't know I guess the thing I would say is you know just like for me that, that's the essence of keep coming back is just keep staying in the process you know when I first got asked to the genie anybody remember genie she came up to me and she said you look great you sound great stay on the path you know and those words kind of etched into my mind like it doesn't matter what I have I have to keep doing what I did to get it in order to keep it and that's I know that's kind of a recovery cliche but it's just so true and for me, I've really come to see in the last, I'd say 10 years of my recovery, anorexia I, what I, I, you know I got really good at working through the dark stuff in my recovery. I got really good at like, because there was a lot of dark stuff. You know My mother was raped as a child, and she joined this religious cult, this like homophobic, racist, religious cult that, you, know, I've I had therapists say most people don't survive that kind of thing, you know, but I had anorexia, that's what helped me survive it. Um, But I had a lot of stuff to work through. And um, as I recovered more and more, I started to see that even though... its I would say OA was there for me when I needed to fall apart, and OA was there for me when I didn't have to fall apart anymore. Because what I came to see is that even though I had to do a lot of work around working through really hard things, The thing that my anorexia really is most uncomfortable with is joy and pleasure and things being good and not having drama. You know, I have an available, available, loving, very non dramatic, often very boring marriage. um, You know, that is not where I come from. You know, I was programmed for all of that, like high drama. I've come to see in my recovery that the definition of emotional and psychological, or really any of abuse, is the intertwining of love and danger. Is that it's when, it's when there's love mixed with this incredible risk and danger. That's what I was programmed for, and I don't live that today. You know, I don't have that in my friendships. I don't have it in my marriage. I don't have it with those members of my family that still have to live that way. I don't have it with them. I don't go there, and that's huge to step out of that disease, you know, to step out of that diseased way of living. It's just such a huge thing. But um, I was going to talk about how pleasure and joy is really the most uncomfortable thing. In my fourth step, the biggest thing I got in my fourth step was, um, I wrote, if I never let happiness in to begin with, happiness will never be taken from me. Thank you very much. And, um, and that really was um, kind of my life plan. And that's really anorexia, which is like, make everything small, invisible, non-existent, as shitty as possible, because then no one can take it from you. Like, my anorexic dream is like, you know, a very small, dark studio apartment with a stained mattress, no bed, I don't need a bed frame. You know, like, just bare, bare minimum with a broken down car, maybe even not even a car, I'll take the bus. You know, like that non-risk living. I don't live that life today, you know, I, live a, I have a really nice, big, beautiful life, and I still need a higher power to help me let it in. I feel most vulnerable when things are good. I feel most vulnerable when when um, <laughs> things are good in all areas of my life. and. Um, to risk happiness, you know, to stay open to good things and to, to let good things in, and which I do today. I let good things in and I hold good things in me and I don't have to you know, be that, have that empty anorexic, invisible, non-existent thing going on. And To do that is me relying on higher power, big time. Because left to my own anorexic devices, it's like, get out that Xacto knife start trimming it down,
1: I'll just trim down
0: a little bit today and then I'll trim down a little bit tomorrow and then pretty soon my husband's wrong, i got to get rid of him and the car's got to go and what am I doing in this big house, I don't need this big, like boom, 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 because that's my compulsion and I don't do that today and I keep coming to meetings, I keep showing up, I keep talking to people, I have friends, good friends in the program that understand that. Um, and one day at a time, you know, I let my life get bigger and better. And it's and as an anorexic, I really want to kind of like be done with the expansion. Like, okay, I did it. Enough,
1: you know. But, but the nature of life
0: is expansion, you know. And I'm kind of in that place right now where my life's getting bigger again. You know, we're moving to another part of town. And, and like there's change going on. And it's all about life is getting bigger and, and better and expanding even more. And my mantra for my recovery from anorexia is higher power, I'm willing to be big, and I'm willing to get bigger. And I'm not talking about my body anymore. I'm not about like gaining more and more weight. I'm talking about my soul, and my life, and my being. And I'm willing to be seen more. And I'm willing to stop hiding. The little ways that I still want to hide, I'm willing to give that up. And, and let my higher power give me the life that my higher power wants for me. And I have to say... You know, the third step, I think, is just so powerful. And for me to surrender to what Maharajah wants for me, um, there, there's a big thing of not knowing. You know, my, there's that analogy of like, you know, I had a handful of rhinestones, and in order to get the diamonds, I had to let the rhinestones fall out of my hand, and my hand had to sit empty for a while. And that's kind of what my recovery has been about, you know, it's like my way didn't work. And I've had to give up my whole kind of life path, I, Everywhere I thought I was going, you know, when I was 25 and getting abstinence and I had abstinence and I had friends, you know, flying all over the country and touring and doing all this cool stuff. But I'm stuck in OA. You know, I felt so ripped off. Really, I did. I felt ripped off. Like, why did this have to be my life story? But I'm so grateful that it is today, you know, because I have a life that I didn't even have the self-worth to dream about before recovery. And that is not just like me trying to convince you to keep coming to meetings. Like, that is my experience. I have, I have dreams that I didn't even have the self-worth to dream about before recovery. Um, I didn't dream about being with an available person. I just wanted to be with someone hot, and I wanted a lot of money. Like, that was basically the extent of my dreams, and I didn't know about trustworthiness and communication and feeling safe in relationships, and I didn't know about what it feels like to have real abundance as opposed to, like, that kind of crack-zing cocaine abundance thing. You know, how to live a calm, real grounded life you know and, and I, I really believe you know my, this is another cliche but it's like whenever my higher power says no it's not no it's no I have something better and that's really really the truth for me and I don't know you know why I got to make abstinence the most important thing in my life but it's still the most important thing in my life and because it is I get to have the life my higher power wants for me and it's a great life it really is I, I wouldn't have gotten abstinence Thank you, I'll wrap it up. I wouldn't have gotten abstinent if it's like, I'll get abstinent so I can have a shitty life and sit in meetings for the rest of my life. I wouldn't have done it. It wasn't until, it wasn't until I saw like, like my dreams hang in the balance that I got abstinent. And for me, abstinence is the way to my dreams. My real dreams, not the like crazy low self-worth dreams, the stuff that I don't even feel worthy of dreaming about. So, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Uh, We will have questions until 935. Who wants to ask a question? Yes, please.
1: Thank you for your share. Thanks. Um, these issues you talk about the low self-esteem, the not unwritten. How does that affect your work life and, and your recovery in, in, in work?
0: Um, thanks for the question. Um, <coughs> kind of the same as all areas, which is, you know, I want to disappear I want to not take up space. You know, I don't want to be seen. I want to live a lot of fantasy, you know, to use the dating life as the analogy. I've had a lot of wonderful people in my life, in my mind. You know, like seriously, like I had a very active fantasy life and I feel like, you know, fantasy, I would say fantasy is the anorexic pacifier. You know, it's like what I give myself because I can't let myself have reality and it's the same thing with, with work you know, and creativity like how can I let go of my fantasy in exchange for reality and um, I talk about it in meetings I talk about it on phone calls um, and I really try to work the third step around my creative life and you know, I'm one of these people I have sort of, um, sort of I've always had one clear creative path that I followed got my degree in Became obsessed with Wrapped my self worth around it If I don't have this I'm nothing I totally went down that road And that was from childhood Because that was the thing that made me okay In childhood it was the thing that made me not the little gay kid It made the little gay kid kind of the seat in the back So I could be this like little thing I mean I had press as a little boy And like I was like the town you know thing And that messed with me Big time Because I think it is what I really want to do, but it became about all these other things. So I don't know. I mean, there's so much to say about it, but it's ultimately the third step. And to, you know, go to my higher power and say, I know I have this this talent. What do you want me to do? And as a result, I thought I actually have two other things that, that I do that are less fraught. And today I'm like, well, maybe my higher power wants me to do one of those things, you know, and then to really surrender. That's been a hard area to surrender. The love life and the creative life. I think that's true for a lot of people. Thanks for the question. Does that answer your question? Okay, great. Thank you
1: so much. Um, So, you talked about how when things are really good and really big, sometimes you feel vulnerable. Yeah. Can you talk about maybe your favorite tool or some
0: of your coaching tools that you use when you're feeling uncomfortable? Yeah, thank you. I write and I call. I write, and I call, and I, I have people in my life that support me in, they know, like I, I, the, we have a shorthand now in recovery where it's like, if there's one thing that's going to bring up my anorexia, and sometimes even my food anorexia, like I'll feel fat after a meal or something, it's when things start to just get too darn good, you know, like the day before of a really nice vacation. I don't do that so much anymore, but like, I was classic, like I'd make us late for the airport as a way of just just sabotaging a little. Like, we wouldn't miss the plane, that it would be hell getting to the uh, the airport on the way to Hawaii. You know, because the the idea of just, like, 11 days on the big island, like, oh, God, that's too much to handle, and I would have to find some way to just knock it down a little bit. And so... A, just the awareness was huge. Because for a long time, I would just be in turmoil. And I thought, well, this is just life. I'm in turmoil. Life is turmoil, you know. And, and I started to see, it was like, oh, just before or just after some really nice event or some good thing, or then I started to see these patterns. So to answer your question, I call people, I write, just being aware, like I said, is a huge thing. And not thinking, oh, this is just how life has to be. But, um... I always say the one. If there's one thing that'll bring up my anorexia like nothing else, because I know how to survive and suffer. Like I got good at that. How to live a life of that peaceful, abundant, non-adrenaline-filled life is when I feel most vulnerable. So I talk about it. That's the one thing I talk about the most today. And I'm, i talk about, it, share about it. Call, write. It.
1: Yeah,
0: you. Yeah, 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 Lisa. Um. I was wondering if you could talk about how you came to embrace a higher power <coughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I did come from a, like I said in my share, I came from a really destructive religious I don't even know it was a cult. I was raised in a major religious cult in this crazy town, very oppressive, punishing beyond punishing God. I mean' just like it's sad, it's really, really sad to do that to which I can't even imagine teaching those things to a little boy I just can't. Um, so I had a lot of baggage, you know, and even my anorexia was about spirituality. I really believed I was being spiritual when I was starving myself. I really believed it. I believed in my core that, like, human desires were non-spiritual. And uh, today I, I have my anyway um, so my higher power you know it's been a, a process of you know I had this five years before recovery where I did a lot of the work of letting go of that destructive guilt thing um, but even in recovery and, and I really believe in the thing about like put a put and I did this a few times put a wanted in the paper for your higher power and list the qualities I want and I did that and that really helped me so today I have a higher power that and It's just a really, really good, healthy relationship with the higher power that is, I don't like to talk about the details because it's so specific and I think it's really personal, but, but it's not, I, you know, for me, it's not an organized thing. It's very much from recovery. I get my higher power in OA and in my path of recovery. And, um, but I really believe in the, the tool of putting a want ad and really asking, and, and asking for the higher power that I want. And I've done that a few times, so does that answer your question? Yeah. so much for I'm going to ask
1: a question based on an assumption, so if the assumption is wrong, uh-huh. forget the question. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that there are people in your family with whom your values differ. Um, right. Or we ask religiously, how do you spend time with those people without judgment?
0: Um, I'll be really, really honest and, and candid about my life. What I started to learn in my recovery, um, there's a, a reader, and I'll quote it loosely because it's 12-step it's affiliated. She, she talked about, like, if, if we don't have boundaries, we're in trouble. And I really heard that because, like I said, with my whole forgiveness thing, I was very much like, my anorexia, like on some level, was a compulsive boundary because I had none in the world and I had to be best friends with everybody and everybody had to love me and I had to let everybody into my heart you know? and, I, and that, that was a compulsion actually and you know I, I got clear about what really works for me in my life and, and I can spend time with people who I differ with on a lot of levels but as a self-loving gay man in recovery I don't hang out with actively homophobic people I just had to make that choice for myself and if somebody has that going on with them, it's like, you know, I don't really want to have lunch.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's just something I've gotten in my recovery. And for a long time, I didn't give myself that. And that was kind of my line in the sand. If, someone, if I disagree with somebody religiously, uh, great. You know, but as long, you know, or or the big stuff, you know, if if it's something like that where I feel I can't, I just can't, I can't go. For a long time, I felt I should be able to rise above that and keep it light and polite and just, you know, don't talk about the weather. And I did that for many, many, many years. But eventually, I got enough self worth for me to say that's the one place I don't go. So, does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah
1: thank you so much um,
0: this is a two part question what does your abstinence look like today and um, what is your daily routine to support that um, my, abstinence is, my abstinence is freedom from food obsession and freedom from the desire to starve myself but I have a food plan that, and my food plan is I eat three meals a day and snacks if I need them I, don't, I no longer have things I don't eat one great thing that's happened for me in recovery is that I've really started to see a real separation between the reality of some foods and my disorder. Like, there are some foods that make me not feel good physically that I can eat, but I just know that's where it's going to take me. But that has nothing to do with my abstinence. It just has to do with me being <coughs> with me being. So I can eat whatever I want. If I want a banana split for breakfast, I can eat it. It's going to make me feel crappy, so I probably am not going to make that food choice. But um, basically my food plan is three meals a day, snacks. If I need them, I eat food to sustain my body. What do I do to, to maintain that? I continue to go to meetings on a regular basis. I make calls pretty much, I make m- multiple calls a day usually to friends. I have a lot of friends now in the, in the program. Uh, and I do try to meditate every day. I don't meditate every day, but, and I will say I've really come a long way with meditation too. For a long time, I couldn't meditate because my anorexia was all about this whole meditation, LA spirituality world, and I used meditation as a way of like getting perfect and making myself clean, feel clean inside. And I don't do that today, so I can meditate in a healthy way. And if you want to hear more about that, we can talk after the meeting. Tara. So standing up is made you fearful, which, right, because you got big, But what else was that about? Not wanting to stand up? I think it's that, just being seen on that that way. Like, the times I've stood up at meetings, it's been in front of a podium. And, uh, I don't know, but once I did it, it was fine. I was like, oh, this is fun.
1: <laughs> it was fun. It wasn't a big deal.
0: It was more the fear of doing it. So. Hi,
1: thanks so much, Tricia. You mentioned, and this is sort of piggybacking on another um, answer, but you meant, you seem to, if I'm remembering correctly, that there are a couple people in your family that you still interact with. Yeah. And I'm just wondering um, how, what that looks like and what your boundaries are like and how you yeah. make yourself spiritually safe uh, with those.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was a big part, you know, I hit a wall about seven, eight years ago where I was like, back to kind of the other question about that sabotage thing. Like, I'd gotten to this point of recovery from anorexia where I, I could let so much in, but as soon as I got to this limit, I would just always find a way to knock it down and flatten it and flatten myself ultimately. And I was just like not going away. And I was like, you know, I've got to go back in there. Back down in there, you know, and I use the tools and I use other things to kind of just go back in there. My family of origin issues. Um, five minutes. Um, I'll be quick with this, um, just as, as as honestly as I could. And that's when I did, you know, a lot of the work around the whole, you know, the homophobic, and I would say that, you know, I wouldn't expect a Jewish person to want to hang out with a Nazi, you know, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that on somebody else, and be like,
1: well, you know, you should just
0: agree to disagree about that, you know, like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't, there are lines in this world that just, like, that's the line, where, that's where the line is, and and I, and so I, that's, that's for me, it had to be a clear line with my family, because I didn't want to go to them and dictate to them, this is who you need to be for me. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't say, I didn't want to say, leave your religion for me, leave your political affiliation for me. I didn't want to be that person. So I had to pinpoint, what is the real issue for me? And that's exactly what I did. And that's what I learned about a lot of the stuff in my family was their response to me. But, um... You know, I said, you know, I, th- I know we can disagree about everything, but with this one issue, I need to know that you're on my side. A hundred percent. If I come to your house and I tell you, tell me you love me and I tell you I love you on Christmas morning, I need to know that you're not going to then go into a voting booth and make me a second class citizen. Like, that is not going to be okay with me. With this one issue, I need you to do some work and evolve. And a lot of people in my family were like, you know, they hemmed and hawed, but they kind of like, They heard it. And there are some people in my family that not only did they not hear it, but they turned it around on me and made me the bad one. You're hurting me. And that's when I started to see a lot of how abuse works. It's like, if you take up space, we're fine as long as you sit in the corner and don't talk. But if you take up space, I'm going to turn it around on you and make you the bad one. And that's when I was like, oh, this is my life story. So anyway, I have have two sisters I'm very close with. I have... um, a brother and a sister I'm closer with it's most of my family I have in my life it's just a few people have, have and I know it's not about me and I, I do love and I love them from afar and, and I will say the last thing is that I feel closer to them now at least the truth is on the table I feel closer to them now than when we're playing this like abusive denial everything's fine now I'm going to go lay in bed for two weeks because I hate myself so much like that's not a, that's not a relationship does that answer your question?
1: You mentioned that um, you, you had a really fantastic fantasy life <laughs> in your head. Yeah. Um, can you describe a little bit about how you were able to get out of that fantasy life in your head and get your reality life big
0: Yes. Um, I used the program and supported the program to take action. Fantastic. To take action. Because fantasy for me was all about the... Sort of the substitute for action, you know. Like with dating, I had to go date. I went on a lot of dates. I just kept going on dates, you know. And with my creativity, it's like go and do that thing, like. It. That, that's the short answer is like take action and, but I need support I can't just like I'll take action I need support and I talk about it you know I just had a conversation yesterday with Moira about our creative life and like those conversations really helped me because I still need support in going from fantasy to reality and um, but that, that's the short answer is to take action action is the answer to it. because for me fantasy is all about things being perfect Everything's perfect in my fantasy but in reality, it's like, really, it gets dirty, it gets tarnished, it gets real, and my anorexia is all about wanting to avoid that trauma of, like, what is that 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 song, you know, that great song, it's the dream afraid of waking, uh, the dream afraid of waking, and that's really what coming out of fantasy is about, it's about waking to reality, and reality is always better than fantasy, in mind, because it's real, fantasy is fake,
1: please, Thinking back on of that, you also talk a lot about having abundance, having life beyond your wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of explain more than the difference between being abundant in life you have now, not just with recovery, but
0: also right. stuff like financially, mm-hmm. paradise, and the difference between what you have in your Um. First, I had to let go of how I was going to get there. I had a lot of judgment about, like, I mean, the third step wasn't just about letting go of my disorder. It was about letting go of all of my dreams and being like, you know, I'm going to be in Europe at this time doing this at 30, and that's how my life is going to go. And then I'm going to meet somebody who's going to do this for a living, and they're going to look like this, and like, I had to just like wipe it clean and just let my life go. And um, time's up. I'll just wrap it up by saying, um, I know it sounds vague, but it's the third step, and letting go of the containers in which those things arrived. That was a really, really big thing. I had a really visual fantasy life. And I had to let go of how it was going to happen, where it was going to be. I don't have the life I. I'm not. It's totally different, but it's better. Because I didn't plan on it, and it's <laughs> real. So, thanks for letting me show. Thank you guys so much.